everybody, and I'm happy to be back on the podcast uh, train. It's been a while. I think we've all been exceptionally busy, myself included. Today, I really have the pleasure of, again, collaborating with Tamika Faison and a topic we're discussing that is near and dear to both of our hearts. I'm calling this podcast Academic and Social Entrepreneurship. Can you make the whole world your client? As therapists, we know the impact we have when we typically work one-on-one with clients and Obviously, and nobly so, over the course of a lifetime of, in your career, you, you will have impact on hundreds, if not thousands, of individuals. Sometimes, however, you want to have an even deeper, further, and wider reach. One way to do this, to accomplish this, if you have this as a goal, is through academic and social entrepreneurship. Both Tamika and I feel that today this is more important than ever, and each of us in our own way has immersed ourselves in this niche, and actually from two different vantage points. No matter what, we are both deeply committed to the notion that the academic therapy programs owe it to their students to introduce and support a student's business acumen and their foundation to be a conscientious global citizen in addition to advancing their clinical skills. And today, hopefully, it's just the first of a, at least a two-part discussion that we're committed to having and hopefully to, um, if not introducing you to the concept, to encourage the academic programs out there in OTPT and speech to embrace this as part of their curriculum. So without further ado, we're going to get started. Okay, so I'm happy to be back on a podcast. It's been way too long, and I'm also very happy to be back with Kamika Faison. That's also been way too long. We did a couple of um, podcasts together at the start in the middle of the pandemic, but then I think both of us just got so busy with work, life, and everything in between that it's nice to be back together. So hello, Tamika. Hey, Iris. Always a pleasure. I, uh, the topic that we literally have discussed talking about for over a year that we're going to get to, and I have a feeling I just said this to her, this may be part one of two, because we both are pretty passionate about this. And I, I myself could talk forever on it. And I have a feeling she can too. But we're going to address the issue of the topic of academic entrepreneurship, and social entrepreneurship. And you know, I said it before, but I'll say it again. Each of us are really in our own way, deeply committed to this. So I thought maybe just for this part one, we could just each share how we came to become involved with this. And then maybe based on feedback that we get from viewers and listeners, we could then take it to the next level in part two. So if that's okay, Tamika, um, Since everyone knows I'm the older one in the crowd, I will go first. Since I, just by virtue of my age, I have to have a longer history in doing this. And um, so I just, you know, I'm going to focus more on academic entrepreneurship. And, you know, just as a start, I just want to say that I firmly believe that teaching is the cornerstone of what we do as therapists. 
So I don't care if you're a peach therapist and adult therapist, it doesn't matter to me. It doesn't matter if you're teaching clients, if you're teaching patients, if you're teaching under other therapists. What we do, you know, teaching is just part of our DNA. And it's really, you, you can't be a good therapist if you can't teach somebody something. So it almost goes hand in hand that there should be some component of academia in your lifespan as a therapist, whether you get into it in the beginning, in the middle, or in the end. And I happen to think that many therapists are just inherently good teachers. And if you're not a good teacher, you know, I question, could you actually really be a good therapist? Because you must be leaving certain things out. So the way that I came into academic entrepreneurship was you know, sounds like a long time ago, because it was, it was in 2004. And I'm sure some of you had not graduated from therapy school then, but I, um, I had already sold my company, my therapy company. And I had been starting as a, uh, as a consultant to other therapists. And in my heart, I felt like I wanted to reach more people. And I wanted to reach people early on, because there were at the time back in 2004, there was such a gap in information. There was a real desert. You know, most people did business plans. It was trial and error. Everybody was begging forgiveness, not asking permission. It was really pretty much the wild, wild west. And I thought that, you know, if we could reach students while they're still in school and sort of set the foundation the same way that we set a foundation for, for clinical skills, we set no foundation for for uh, business skills or any kind of entrepreneurship skills. So I was pretty committed to trying to pitch this idea. So I decided I would pitch it to Columbia, to the PT program. And that's only because I went to Columbia. So I said, well, you know, if anything, I'm an alum. They like their alums, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, and I tell this part of the story because this should give everybody hope. I'm pitching my idea of a course to Columbia on entrepreneurship and uh, marketing and healthcare. And, you know, the chairperson was lovely, said, oh, good idea, blah, blah, blah. And then she looked at me and said, but, you know, you have no, you, you don't have a doctorate. And I said, very true. I don't have a doctorate. And Honestly, I hadn't thought about that before I pitched the idea, gee, do I need a doctorate? But then again, it is Columbia. They're, you know, like to be full of themselves and all of that. and High standards, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so they loved the idea, but they wanted me to get my doctorate. And I said, look, I'll consider getting my doctorate if you award me credit for my life experience. Because by this time, I was a very fully formed person, you know, and had OTPT 30 years. It's like, Please. And they said that they wouldn't, that at Columbia, they don't award for life experience. So I, I shook hands to the chair with the chairperson and said, you know, essentially goodbye and good luck. Within 24 hours, she was back knocking at my door saying, you know, Iris, we've made an exception and we think we could call you a visiting professor. And I said, look, I don't care what you call me. It doesn't matter to me. I said, I would just love to do the course. So I tell you that only because don't let, if for those of you that don't have a doctorate, it does not necessarily mean that you're barred from any form of academic entrepreneurship. 
you know, if you're good or you they like you enough, there is a way to work yourself into the system. That doesn't mean that for some of you, obviously, it's, it's an easier entry if you have a doctor. I know Tamika does, and maybe she could speak to that. But anyway, beyond that, having gone through both OT and PT school, at the most, I know it was a long time ago, but at the most, I had one organization and administrative course in each of the disciplines. And probably in each course, they may have mentioned private practice once or twice. I don't even think the word business was uttered in either of my academic programs. And it was just preposterous then. And if I fast forward to today, I'm sure that there is more infiltration of this in some academic programs, but it's certainly not widespread. So anyway, over the course of 12 years, I started the, this class at Columbia, and, and I have to be honest, the class started in 2014, went on for 12 years. The way I started the class versus the way I ended the class was very different because it was truly a learning experience. You know, when you start a new course, you get to learn alongside your students what works, what doesn't, what to, you know, what are they hungry for, what are they not? So it was, you know, honestly, probably one of the most informative times of my life. I think, you know, if nothing else, teaching could give you gray hair, but it also keeps you young. It does that. It's sort of like being a parent. It both ages you, but keeps you young simultaneously. And Honestly, the course, when I first started it, all my students called it the quote-unquote private practice course. And I was quick to shut that down because healthcare is a business. And it doesn't matter whether you're in private practice, whether you end up being a, a uh, run a department in the hospital, whatever you do, healthcare is a business. And maybe you'll be in the private sector and you'll need entrepreneurial skills there, or maybe you'll be you know, leading a a department where you're going to be looking at a budget and Excel spreadsheets. And we know you probably didn't learn how to look at a budget in school. So these kind of things that the thinking of it just, it's so necessary for today's day and age. I mean, right now, healthcare is a $4.1 trillion industry. That's huge. And it's only going to go up. And honestly, Factually, healthcare is the largest employer in our country. So that means a lot. And I feel, as part of academic entrepreneurship, that it's part of the job of academia to prepare students for this. And I was passionate about it then when I did this course. I'm even more passionate about it now, you know, for several reasons, which I have sort of discussed with Mika you know, during sidebars and emails, you know, if, if you don't teach a student while you're learning and you wait till you come out of your, you know, you come out of your academic program and think, oh, maybe I want to go into private practice or maybe I want to do this. I mean, at the moment in our field, we're just inundated with, quote unquote, business coaches, quote unquote, Teachers, quote unquote, I'll show you the quick way to make money. I'll show you the this. And I'm getting extremely worried. And I know Tamika and I have have had this discussion that I'm just worried that a lot of therapists are getting stuck in a funnel where 
therapists are literally making money off of other therapists as opposed to teaching therapists how to make money. And again, maybe if we do this from an academic point of view early on, then when therapists graduate, they'll be a little more savvy, you know, in saying, you know, let me think carefully about what kind of person I want to guide me in business, in holding myself out to the public so that you, you don't end up in a funnel or being someone's affiliate. And, you know, every time someone recommends something to you, it's almost like extortion. They're here, use this platform. And then while they're hitting a cash register because they're getting money because they've recommended something. So I'm not saying that an academic program is going to stop that, but I think that level of sophistication that, you know, most students have. So, you know, I know that more and more programs are introducing entrepreneurship, and I only hope that this is going to continue. I, you know, I've worked with a few other programs dabbling, and it's always on my to-do list because I think it's Mm -hmm. that important. And I know Tamika has been, doing a lot more of it with a lot of different groups. So I'm going to turn this over to her. Um, The final thing I will just say is that the same way that you, that a therapist feels proud when their patient gets discharged and they've done well on program. I mean, probably what I love the most is when a student gets in touch with me and says, Oh, I dusted off that business plan you made us do. And And now look what I'm doing. Or I've had the pleasure of consulting with a lot of my former students who now have gone on to do inordinately successful things. And nothing makes me more proud because it really feels like I'm paying it forward, that I gave them the ability or I gave them the tools to go out and do something. And in turn, they're doing good for their patients. They're doing good for themselves. They're doing good for their families. And hopefully that goes on and on and on. So I, you know, I look at it as a, a very, very positive thing that I, I hope, you know, I know we're, we're not at the cusp of this anymore, but I, I firmly believe that the academic world almost at this point has an obligation to teach their students more, you know, on a, if we talk about holistic learning and the full picture, I, I think that you know, I mean, the, the days I used to have a few students who would roll their eyes and say, oh, but I don't want to go into private practice. And I said, but this isn't only about private practice. And, and I think I made that argument to enough of them because I still hear from a lot of people like, hey, you right? And, you know, so I, you know, I, I'm hoping that that this podcast, if nothing else, is jumpstarts a lot of other people and hopefully a lot of other academic programs. And now, once yeah. again, I've mastered taking over the mic, but I'm turning it over to Nika for her perspective. Thank you. Thank you, Iris. I mean, there are a lot of good points. I should have took some notes while you were speaking because I want to piggyback off of some of that. You know, one, the, the issue with people charging a lot. So last week, I did a guest lecture at Boston University in their OTD program on business and financial management. And I always include an example of um, a message I got from a therapist uh, via social media asking me, is $10,000 too much to pay a consultant who was a therapist to get incorporated? And so one of the things I have the the students do is to go onto the Secretary of State's webpage and find how much it costs to to get incorporated. And in this particular state, it's $500. And so I say, I ask them, do you think it's $10,000 is too much? 
So there are people out here doing this. It's, 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 yeah, it blows my mind that there are people charging 10,000, 15, 20 for some things that really you should not be charging that much for. Um, so that's one thing. The other thing I want to piggyback off of was when you said like the excitement when your students come back and they actually have started a business. Like Dr. Gibbs, she was um, she was one of your students and I was interviewing her on my other podcast <laughs> and she said, oh, and I had this class and that's how I got started in entrepreneurship. Right. And I said, was that with Iris? And she's like, yeah, yeah, how do you know? <laughs> so it is amazing and um, the impact that you can make um, as a uh, academic entrepreneur. I was very fortunate in OT school to have a professor to teach a community-based practice course who was an entrepreneur. And so we did have to do a business plan. And I used that business plan as my plan for my business when I opened it two years after I graduated. Uh, it was very uh, non-tra- a non-traditional business working with older adults with developmental disabilities. And after I did that, and I was actually able to sustain it, I started getting requests to guest lecture. Like, well, how are you, how are you actually making money off of this? We know that you recreate the business plan in a course, but many people after they do that might not be able to sustain it financially afterwards. And so I would do guest lectures and I would do workshops. Um, and I would have people come up to me and ask, you know, can I have more? And later I would have a student who told me they're not teaching that anymore. Even though it, they, there is an ACOAT standard, that says that you have to address business uh, skill sets, but I think it's just different. There's a lot of variation in terms of the um, extent of the content that you get related to it. And so I I read this article, you all might be familiar with it. It's called um, Entrepreneurs Wanted, OT Entrepreneurs Wanted, something like that in AJOT. And I was reading the recommendations at the end where they said, you know, AOTA should provide more resources for people who are interested in entrepreneurship universities need to provide electives um, and some required content related to entrepreneurship. Like, yeah, this is so true. It doesn't need to be just a guest lecture. And so I, I worked with a few universities, uh, Rocky Mountain College in a seminar course on entrepreneurship. And I work with community colleges. And right now my role is at uh, Duke University. And I've created a certificate in entrepreneurship. They already have a certificate in entrepreneurship, innovation and entrepreneurship. And I just found out about it and thought, how do we have the scholarship integration? And that was what my doctorate degree um, focused on. My capstone was focusing on creating the elective courses for students who take advantage of the innovation and entrepreneurship certificate that's already at Duke, that's free. So there's four courses that they take, two are required in the actual center, and then they can take two electives elsewhere, or they can take those in the center. So I'll offer two courses. Um, And my two focus on social entrepreneurship. So I know Iris mentioned that at the beginning. Um, um, So that's where I focus. Um, My skill set in terms of entrepreneurship is on the social impact and occupational justice. And it is, yeah, it's very rewarding. We're we're just in the very beginning phases of that. Um, But I, you know, as a visionary, I can see the difference that it's going to make if they have a continuum of courses related to entrepreneurship and then even potentially the opportunity to use that within their capstone. And then before I, I, I turn it back over to you, Iris, I wanted to mention that what you said about the doctorate degree. So I did get a doctorate degree um, because I wanted to work on this curriculum. I really like writing curricula and I wanted to work on this curriculum, but it is not required. 
And I, I was listening to a video last week. Uh, it was a conference, a virtual conference. And someone said, oh, you can't teach at a doctoral level unless you have a doctorate degree. You have to at least have it. I'm like, it's not true. So even at Duke right now, we have a position open and you can have a master's degree. So because we talked about what, what are we really asking the person to do and what skill set and knowledge is needed for them to do what it is that we would have them to do. For some courses and content, yes, a PhD or OTD might be required, but for others, no. If you got 30 years of experience and you're an OT and a PT, (laughs) you probably, yeah, you have a lot of knowledge, a lot of uh, expertise. And so we've looked at that. And so you don't count yourself out in being uh, able to be involved in an academic setting. It's different for different ones. And I love your story because you pitched it to them and they realized that you had value and said, we'll make it work. And that's entrepreneurial in itself that you created it and you went to them and pitched it. Exactly. And even beyond that, and since people, you know, hopefully you're going to take away a few things. One is, I think both of us started off as being a guest lecturer. So that's just a pay, pay it forward, a payback. It's like everybody should be happy to go and lecture in an OT program, a PT program, because yes. they need to hear from therapists in the, in the community. And they need role models. So, you know, but that is, you know, then you're, you're already inching your way into academia. And, you know, you'll be able to put in your cover letter or your pitch deck. I've, I've guest lectured, which I did at LIU. I did at LaGuardia Community College until I worked my way up to Columbia. You know, so okay. I think that's important. A hundred percent, the message of don't let anything be a barrier. Don't wait for someone to be Look, you know, look on LinkedIn wanted a lecturer on entrepreneurship or let, you know, because that's not going to happen. You have to go out there and say, I'm going to make this happen because it's that important to me. And you're actually right. It's very entrepreneurial to do that. Followed by, I'm sure most, if any of you are adjuncts, you know that there's, you know, it's always adjuncts get paid horribly. Adjuncts get paid poorly. And I wasn't going to stop there with Columbia, because if I was going to do this course and create it from the beginning, no one's paying me $50 an hour to do that. And that was my second argument with them that this is value. And I had to negotiate a very, what I have to say was a very good hourly rate for myself and gave them, it was worth their while in many, many aspects. And one of the things that Columbia had said to me is that, some, so many of the students said, well, we came to the school because you have this course and no one else had the course. And that was a draw for many people. You know, we know that some therapists already know they want to go into the private sector. Maybe not everybody, but some do. So, you know, for anyone listening who's in the academic world, I mean, to me, this rounds out your curriculum. It makes it real world. It makes it relatable. And, you know, you, you're doing your student body a tremendous service by doing it. So hopefully this is going to stir the pot a little bit more because I guess this, you know, I'm sure we've come far beyond when I got literally a one sentence mess, you know, mention in an organization and administrative course. I'm sure that we've gone further than that, but you know, and I also, I always felt like, and Columbia actually made my course mandatory, not an elective. Because I thought it oh, was, wow. it should be. It, it shouldn't be just an elective. It, it's that important. 
And, you know, they, they agreed with me up to 12 years when they changed chairpersons, which is why I left, they decided this wasn't really that important after all. And they said, we're just going to make it an elective and blah, blah, blah. And we ended up parting ways, but, you know, still, you know, wow, with a good handshake, wow. but it, it was a shame that they almost went backward. And I think it was more budgetary than anything because, you know, I, I know the value of the course. I mean, it speaks for itself, uh, you know, just by virtue of all the, the therapists that graduated and all the things that they've gone out in the world and done and, you know, very good things from, you know, whether it's in their own practice, whether it's starting nonprofit organization. I mean, people have taken the information and, and used it wisely, you know, for everyone's betterment, you know, not just themselves. So I think that. It's and they want it. They want it. Uh, I exactly. reference in my um, work that, in the workforce survey that AOTA does, and they survey the students asking them, what do they want to do after they graduate? More, more and more OTs are saying they want to go into entrepreneurship more so than research, more yeah. so than education. And so if we know this is a career path. Right. Then we, like you said, have an ethical responsibility to provide the education to prepare them for, the, for that career path. So they don't get in situations where they're paying tons of money to be, like you said, in someone's funnel. Right. Or, you know, businesses, I don't remember the percentage, Iris, and you might know the number of businesses that fail just in general right. after that, they're started. That's a very good point. And I don't know, you know, in all honesty, I don't know that that many therapists have quote unquote failed businesses. But what I do know from my years of working in the field, is that people don't actualize their success. So they may not fail, but they don't succeed nearly as much as they could, which is why mm. I love to consult with them. So it's like, I know so many practice owners who after, and it's not only monetarily, but it's just in providing service. It doesn't mean, it, it's not only measured by how much money you gross, but it's, or as much as what you're able to do and accomplish. And so many people just don't live up to their full capacity because they don't know how. And it's not something that you're necessarily inherently born with, but I believe you can be led and taught and guided, especially oh, yeah. to get the foundation early on. So I don't think therapists will fail in business, but I know for a fact they could have succeeded a lot more than many have done, you know? and. So many people say to me, yeah, I wish I met you 10 years ago. And I'm like, you know, I wish you met me 10 years ago, too, because I know we could have done a lot more. And, you know, they may be already at their exit strategy. But, you know, so anyway, Tamika, as always, we could talk about this for hours. I think there's a part two we're going to have to do. But I, I think, think so, too. I agree. Some very good seeds for today and hopefully some inspiration for every academic program out there, of which there are many, we know. So, mm -hmm. okay, thank you everybody for listening and stay tuned for part two because I, I believe it's coming and we can get into more specifics. Okay. Yeah. Thank you to Have me. a good one, everybody. Thank okay. you, Iris. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.